This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, go to molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and use the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. It's Wednesday, May 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. And someone else was supposed to be on the show today, and... <laughs> An hour before the show, an hour before the time we're supposed to start recording, that person said, hey, uh, my laptop is basically not working at all, and I'm not going to be able to help out. I said, no problem. I put up the bat signal, and Jason Moser, who is, in fact, Batman, answered. So, uh, Jason (laughs) Moser, thanks for being here. Hey, always a pleasure. Happy to help out in a pinch. Uh, We've got uh, some earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start with a story that actually broke yesterday afternoon after um, you and I had finished recording yesterday's Market Foolery, and that is Uber making a bid for Grubhub, and shares of Grubhub ended on Tuesday up nearly 30%. It's down a little bit today, but these conversations are ongoing before we get into the particulars, what, what was your reaction when you saw that? Because mine was, there, there are some acquisitions that in the moment you look at them and you think to yourself, well, that makes perfect sense. For me, this isn't one of them, but what do you think? Um, I, well, I don't know if it's something I would say makes perfect sense, but I, I do see the connection there. I mean, I, I certainly see why... Uber would be thinking in this direction, and and I think that for Grubhub, it, this this could be maybe the best way out. I don't know. I mean, the economics of food delivery are really tough. We've certainly seen that in Grubhub's margins and financials since it's been a publicly traded company, and and unfortunately, it's not a market that really rewards exclusive relationships. I mean, people are just looking to get their food from point A to point B in restaurants. You know, want to be able to do that. You know, and and make sure that they can rely on the partners that are delivering that food. So, um, for me, like you know, as I said, this is not a market that rewards ex- exclusive relationships. So we saw, you know, for example, when Shake Shack uh, released their earnings here last week. They had exited an exclusive relationship with Grubhub and were utilizing more partners, Uber Eats being one of those. So from the restaurant's perspective, you know, they want to try and bring as many of those partners as they can in as they can. But it is it is a it is a it is a market where you're certainly seeing consolidation almost needs to happen because otherwise it's it's going to be really difficult for a lot of players to be successful in this space. But you could see where maybe a couple of players could be successful successful in this space. And I think that with with Uber, you know, we've always asked the question how are they going to leverage that network beyond just you know shuttling people around? And, and Uber Eats is definitely one of the ways to do that. And Uber Eats is certainly performing pretty well. I mean, in, in quarter one, they generated $4.7 billion in gross bookings. That was up 50, 54% from a year ago. And, and revenue is accelerating in, in that line of work. Uh, take rates are accelerating as well. So, I mean, they're, they're seeing a lot of success for obvious reasons right now. I mean, folks are, are looking to have more food delivered. Uh, but, but you know, I think with, with Grubhub, this might just represent the best opportunity for the business and for shareholders because otherwise they're going to be stuck in this perpetual battle for very very incremental profits right i mean it it is just not a super high margin business and and you know for restaurants they they need delivery now more than ever 
Um, so I think I think that'll probably continue on for some time. Um, but but it's definitely a space where consolidation is uh, starting to happen. And I actually could see Grubhub and Uber getting together there and creating really you know, a massive food delivery network that even really extends beyond restaurants, right? I mean, Uber Eats has incorporated grocery, for example. Um, they have, I think, what, 4,000 partners in 35 countries uh, with, with companies like Carrefour, for example, and Cisco. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're leveraging that network in good ways. And I think this is a sign of things that, that could, uh, a sign of things to come for Uber that, that could be good. I mean, it's obviously still hemorrhaging cash and they're going to raise some more debt, it sounds like. But, um, if, if, if this is a deal that happens, it sounds like it'd be an all-stock deal, and now they're kind of hemming and hawing over the valuation. But but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see this happen. It's funny you mention that. I was talking with our colleague, Abby Mallon, and she's a Grubhub shareholder, and she made it very clear to me she's not interested in Uber stock. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she, was hap- she was happy to see the spike uh, in Grubhub shares. She would much rather prefer this be a cash deal because she's not looking for Uber stock. But you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting to say to see how the valuation shakes out here because yeah. right now, with this spike and a little bit of a pullback today, Grubhub's valuation is five point three billion. They've said they would sell at a valuation of six point one billion. So that's another fifteen percent upside from where it is here. It is, and you know, I mean, these companies will go through negotiations to to try to figure out what makes the most sense, and that's that's kind of the nice part about all stock transactions um, for the comp from the company's perspective, right? They're they're essentially just. You know they don't have to dole out physical currency, right? I mean, shares are a currency, but it's not really affecting their pocketbook. It, it, you know, investors are kind of the one, the ones that potentially get screwed there. And and I do feel like Abby, I, I I agree with Abby. I'm not really interested in Uber Uber's stock today. I mean, I I think it's a fascinating business to follow. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they will be able to leverage that network over time and do more things with it. But I think it's going to take a while. And, and they clearly, it's going to take a long time for them to even achieve any meaningful profitability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from, from the company's perspective, that, that all-stock deal makes perfect sense. Um, from the investor's perspective, yeah, if I'm a Grubhub shareholder and this ends up happening and I get, you know, those those Uber Uber shares for that deal, I, I probably would look at at going ahead and selling those Uber shares and putting that money to work elsewhere. Um, because anyway, you put it, I mean, food delivery is just it's just a really tough business. And I mean, we saw not all that long ago where Square unloaded the uh, the caviar side of that business, right? I mean, they they dipped a toe in that market, thinking that might be something complementary to their business. It turned out it really wasn't. It turns out it's just really hard work. It wasn't something that that lined up or leveraged uh, their existing business to the degree they felt like made sense. And and so I think, uh, yeah, I mean this this kind of it makes me think a little bit of satellite radio. In you know you had Sirius XM and yeah, or you had Sirius Radio and you had XM Radio, and then they merged to form the one big provider in that space. I mean, I, I ultimately could could honestly see this being just like you know one or two really big providers in the space. Um, but you know, time will tell. The Container Store came out with their fourth quarter report. Um, not surprisingly, sales down. The stock down twenty percent today, and I understand it because they don't have. They're they're not Wayfair. They're they're not built yeah. on an e-commerce platform, and yet, uh, you know, I sort of shake my head because it's uh, in sympathy among other things because. 
This is one of those times where people, because they're spending time in their homes, they're looking more closely at their homes and doing the types of things in terms of renovation and improvement that in theory should work out really well for the container store. Yeah, you would figure, I mean, this is the dreaded pre-announce. It's always a bit of a coin flip, though. I think with the container store, it was probably pretty easy to figure out it wasn't going to be that great. And I mean, it's 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 understandable. I mean, everybody's kind of in the same boat at this point. Uh, but I mean, it, that said, based on its its past performance, I mean, this was a tough one to justify owning even in the best of times, unfortunately. Uh, they, they've had to close all of their stores. They are utilizing part of that store base for curbside pickup. And, and I will say, I mean, one glimmer of, of hope here is that the beginning of fiscal 20, which started for the company on March 29th, they did note that online customer orders have nearly quadrupled the level of the prior year. So that is good. I mean, let's 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 recognize that that's that's a, a, a ray of light there. But the numbers are the numbers, and uh, I mean they they have uh, pulled guidance. Obviously, comp sales are uh, remain challenged, and I think the bigger question in regard to the container store at this point, it, it's about the balance sheet. I think it's about the liquidity here because if you look at the income statement, their coverage ratio is around two today, and that's you know how many times you can. Uh, how many times you can put interest expense into operating profits, and you want that number to be high. And for the container store, it's really low at two, and it's reasonable to assume it's going to get lower. The balance sheet, they are in sort of that cash conservation mode that Shake Shack mentioned recently in their earnings call. They're really having to figure out a way to play defense and buy some time. And we're seeing more and more here along this retail landscape we're seeing bankruptcies. We're seeing those headlines start to come up. Now, I'm not saying that the container store is headed for bankruptcy, but we can definitely at least be having that conversation, given what we know today. And to your point about home renovation projects and this being kind of an ideal time, you're right. It is. The problem is that the container store has always been a little bit of a higher dollar offering. And I think that makes it a bit more challenging for them, particularly when you have other concepts like IKEA out there that focus far more on that value side of the equation um, and, and obviously have bigger stores, I think, a far more rabid loyal following than something like the container store. So, a difficult stretch for the container store. I have a feeling it's going to get more difficult, but we'll have to wait and see. Before we get to the mailbag, quick shout out to Molecule, which is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Their technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule's given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all new experience. Breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products provides a solution for the entire home when it comes to the air purification. So if you've got a small room, you can go for the Molecule Air Mini. You got a larger room. You can go for the Molecule Air. Uh, it replaces technology from nearly a century ago. Uh, we, there really hasn't been major innovations uh, since the HEPA filter was developed in the 1940s, and they've got a new filtration system that doesn't just collect pollutants on an antiquated filters; it destroys them on a molecular level. Uh, it looks great. It's easy to use, and as I always say, uh, it works. Uh, I slept like a log when I had a molecule air purifier in my room destroying pollen. So you can get 10% off your first air purifier. Go to Molecule.com and use the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com 
and use the promo code FOOL10. Uh, you can email us. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. You can also hit us up on Twitter. At Marketfoolery is our Twitter handle. Uh, we got a question on Twitter from Jonathan Breslin, uh, who wrote, big fan of the podcast. Could you comment on the impact of Twilio's deal with Epic on Teladoc? What is this deal, Jason? Uh, good question, and, and thanks for the question, Jonathan. Is it? Um, I, I think uh, it. So, Epic is one of the nation's largest electronic health record companies, and Twilio is a tech company that provides programmable video support, among other things. Um, and so, so ultimately, Epic, in in the middle of of this pandemic, has has decided that they wanted to build out a telehealth offering, and uh, they're going to use Twilio to to support that. Which I think makes a lot of sense. Twilio is a good business. They provide a good good service and good products. They've they've obviously uh, you know the numbers the numbers show that. Um, and, and so I think uh, it, it ultimately is a good thing. I understand why they're doing it at this point in time. Um, certainly, this has hastened the adoption of, of telehealth telemedicine. Um, and I think that you ultimately need to view competition as a good thing, right? I mean, it ups it ups the ante and it brings progress. And, and so. For me, when I see something like this, it more or less to me it validates, you know, what companies like Teladoc Health have been doing all along. And I mean, this is a massive, massive market opportunity, right? The the uh, the U.S. healthcare expenditure, expenditures as a percentage of GDP is around eighteen percent. I mean, it just gives you a perspective there of how much money is involved when it comes to just our, our domestic healthcare system alone. And so, uh, I, I, this reminds me. I think it was Warren Buffett who who brought up that innovators, imitators, and idiots thing, right? Do you recall that? Does that sound familiar? I don't, but keep talking. I'll look it pretty, up. Pretty sure it's Buffett who said, you've got your you've got your innovators, your imitators, and your idiots. And so, what, what he's ultimately referring to is you got companies out there that, that innovate, that start something new and, and bring progress. Then you got imitators that say, hey, that looks pretty good. Let's do it too. And they get in there and they try to compete as well. And then you've got the idiots who, they're a little bit later to the game and just bring, and just bring bad, bad products and services, and, and they, don't really, they don't really see it all the way through. Uh, but I, I would say in this case, so Teladoc Health to me certainly falls in the innovator space here. They've been at this for a long time. Um, Epic, I, you know, I think that this is probably one of those imitator things where they see a neat market opportunity and, and a valuable service that they can provide based on the information that they have through their electronic health records. So, that's, that's maybe an imitator thing. I, I certainly wouldn't call it an idiot thing at this point, at least. Uh, to me, you know, I think that when you look at this market, it is so large. It's it's not a market where one provider is just going to be providing it all. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone should look at healthcare as a winner take all space. I think that Teladoc is going to be one of the companies that uh, helps spearhead this move towards virtual healthcare and helps scale healthcare, which is I think one of the biggest challenges we've been trying to overcome for a while. And you know we've we've gotten some questions before in regard to during the pandemic a lot of a lot of video platforms are, are able to connect doctors with patients and those platforms might not normally be able to be able to be used in in regulatory environments and that all revolves around HIPAA right the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996 that that ultimately is, focuses on data privacy and security for safeguarding medical information and actually HIPAA has been suspended. 
during this during the pandemic. And, and the reason was because this is essentially an emergency, and and we want to be able to leverage every tool that we have to be able to connect doctors with patients and, and care for as many people as we can. So that is something that will phase out. Uh, but but it's important to note that because I think the regulatory environment is is uh, it can be a barrier for a lot of these a lot of these companies that are doing this kind of thing today. Now I I, I believe that that Epic here with with Twilio that would be HIPAA compliant ultimately based on what Epic does. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, again, Teladoc has been at this for a while, and they've built out a very comprehensive offering with a lot of different touch points in a lot of different markets, uh, and, and they've made some acquisitions along the way to build up this very comprehensive network. Um, and, and I think that gives them a great head start. I think it gives them a great advantage in being one of the innovators in this space. And I, I don't think you can hold uh, it against Epic at all for being for wanting to be one of the imitators. I think it's a good thing, and, and hopefully it's able to save some lives in the process. Uh, but ultimately, I look at competition as a good thing, and I think it spurs progress along. And I think that ultimately, these are the types of things that will make Teladoc and, and the virtual healthcare market even better years from now. Yes, Warren Buffett, you nailed it. Um, the, the, uh, what he called the progression of the three eyes. First come the innovators, <laughs> then the imitators, then the idiots. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for helping out today. I appreciate it. Always happy to do it, man. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.